And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic Football Show. Welcome to Prospects to Pros, the show where we talk about the college football players who are about to be NFL players, the NFL players who were just college football players, and everything in between. I'm Andy Staples. I'm here with Dane Brugler, the athletics draft guru and very special guest, the king of the freaks list. He's actually a freak himself. If you've ever seen him do pull-ups, Bruce Feldman from The Athletic. Hey, Bruce. Oh, good to be on with two of my favorite people, two of my favorite coworkers. So I'm excited about this. I always love this kind of nerd space that we're in, that we're all kind of, I don't know, a little too giddy about. We're going to be really nerdy. And I'm so excited. I was I was texting with Dane the other day. And so there was one prospect in his top 50 that I meant to ask him about last week, and I didn't really get a chance to. And then I, I watched the game that you were at this weekend, the the Texas Tech TCU game. And I'm like, oh my God, Tyree Wilson from Texas Tech, he's the edge rusher. He's 6'6", 270. He almost single-handedly ended TCU's undefeated season. Like if if Texas Tech's offense had been able to do anything in the second half, Tyree Wilson may have have changed the, the whole story of the Big 12 this year. What, what, what did you see in person from this guy? Yeah. I mean, so fortunately I'm, I'm able to be out on the field a couple hours before uh, game time. Sometimes you see the guys warm up. You don't see, you see them who are, you know, not in pads. And he, he, A plus is the eye test for sure. Um, when you see him, he looks different. I mean, he's, you know, really long arms, really, you know, he's not six, three and a half or whatever. Um, the other thing that, that kind of I, thought of when I saw it I was like man this guy could probably carry 295 pounds pretty easily he's like lean um he looks a little like a power forward 
um, you know, not like a, you know, like a, a legit NBA, you know, like, like a big power forward, right. Kind of thing. I talked to Tim DeRuiter, who's the defense coordinator for tech. And he, remember he was just at Oregon. So he had Kayvon Thibodeau and he had some guys. I mean, DJ Johnson is another one. I'm curious what you guys think of too, different kinds of players, but you know, he was like, yeah, I, there's a lot of stuff you can do with him. He was very effusive in how he talked about him. I think personality wise, he's probably a little different than Kayvon too. Um, but he was impressive, not just impressive, like watching him move around in the pregame and what kind of frame he has. But then certainly, as you guys saw, there's some wow plays he puts on film. And I'm curious to see how he gets used because so much of, you know, I'm running into a lot of personnel people before games and there are certain players and and even players that maybe I'm asking them about who aren't at my game. Kalijah Kansi is definitely one where it's like, oh, it's going to be interesting to see how, like what kind of system he goes into or how they use them. And I feel like so much of that is like, especially with D linemen, you know, it's like, okay, what kind of system are you going into? How are they going to use them where the value is, but he's really interesting player. Well, I think that's part of what makes him so appealing is because like you said, he could fit a lot of different systems. I mean, they run a lot of three man odd fronts, uh, at, at, at tech and it doesn't matter if he's head up over the tackle it, on the inside shoulder he can he has that power to go right through him he's shocking his hands I, I wouldn't call him necessarily refined or, or crafty as a pass rusher but he he'll use different moves you see a, a swipe rip you see a cross rip uh, that's pretty effective and so He's so long, and that you see those long strides too. So he'll, he'll he's faster than you think. He'll chase down players uh, from the backside, which is really impressive to see. And so right now, uh, he is second in all of college football, just ahead of Will Anderson in total pressures this year with uh, with forty seven. So this is a guy that has the traits, looks the part, plays the part, still has growth potential, like you mentioned, Bruce, and the production is showing up, even though he doesn't get a lot of. Uh, just, you know, pin your ears back, uh, you know, beat the tackle one-on-one, he still finds ways to get to the backfield and and affect what they're doing. Yeah, and I think the difference, and this is not a slight on Will Anderson, but, you know, he is the guy who everybody knows about now, right, you know, on that defense. So, you know, you're going to get all the focus of what they're doing, and and I think that's interesting to see how he can still be productive because sometimes you'll see a guy and they will put up huge numbers as a sophomore, and you're expecting like the TFLs to go crazy again because they just did, and the player's probably better, but the other team is probably more mindful of him. And to see him still be that kind of impact guy at the point and do some of the things he can do, really interesting player. I'd be curious, you know, like who is the four eye you see in, in college football right now? Is like, is there a separate ranking of those guys and and where does he fit in that? Because I I mean, man. There's a lot of there's a lot probably NFL D line coaches are, would be excited about with him. There's no doubt, and, and Texas Tech not known for defense, obviously, but uh, they've I looked it up. They've never had a top twenty pick on defense. You know, offense, you know, Mahomes, Crabtree, they've they've had high picks, but on defense, they've never had a top twenty pick. This guy's got a chance to be their first one. He came in at number twelve on my top fifty list. Uh, just yeah, a pr- pretty impressive player. Yeah, I remember back this was before you guys. I think it was Gabe Rivera. He ended up. He was a. He was a. I think he was a first round pick of the Steelers, but then had a horrific yeah. uh, car accident. Never played. And then a few years, just a few years ago, they had Jordan Brooks. Jordan Brooks. Yeah, that's yeah. what I was gonna yeah. say. That, that he's a. He was the twenty seventh overall pick to the Seahawks. Yeah, R- Rivera was twenty one. So that, that's why I said top twenty. Yeah. 
it's pretty. I mean, it's, it's, it's a great knock. So it is interesting because this is a different position and like people say defensive end and, and you got to remember that defensive end means a couple of different things. If you're a defensive end and an even front, that's your classic edge rusher, six foot five, 260 pounds, you know, really fast. Javon curse that, that type of person. The state of Florida was like back when, you know, maybe a little past you, Andy, but oh yeah. Uh, Florida State, Florida State had Renard Wilson and Andre Wadsworth, and well, there was and, a, David Warren was coming up, and and Roland Seymour, and they had guys mm-hmm. like that, probably probably like honestly Brian Burns, like a precursor mm-hmm. to Brian Burns. Yes, yeah, or, or Jermaine Johnson, even I think is is kind of that guy, even though he didn't really mm-hmm. play, he didn't play that role at Georgia, he played it at Florida State. But what we're talking about is an even front defensive end. So this is a a, a person who plays four eye, which is inside eye of the tackle or five technique, which is head up on the tackle on the other side. And you got to be bigger. Like you need in the NFL, you need to be 285, 290 to play this position effectively. I think it's a really different skill set. And that's what watching Tyree Wilson, I was like, good Lord, because he looks like the Kayvon Thibodeau, you know, even front type guy, but he could be very disruptive coming through the middle of the offensive line rather than coming around the edge. Yeah, I think there's been some interesting prospects who've come through either Houston. You know, we've seen Peyton Turner. I'm trying to remember who was the guy who was our guy last year who was probably rawer but maybe more explosive. Logan Hall. Logan Hall. Yeah, like there are guys like that who, you know, like I'm not saying this is Marcus Davenport. There are guys who did not go to Texas or Texas A&M who are really interesting, like D-line guys who have kind of developed and or, or blossomed. And I think it's like, okay, how do, what's the next step in their development, you know, along the lines like that? Because I definitely think we've seen some of them. Yeah, it it, it is going to be fun to see where Wilson ends up getting picked because that's it's a need-specific thing too. You know, it's going to be a team that that's – you run a primarily odd front defense. Now, I do think if, if he can really hold 290 – that offers some positional versatility where if you want to do some even front looks, you could even put him at three technique. Sure. And, and then you have some rush up the middle that would be pretty nasty. So I, especially on a passing down. So I am, I am excited to see what he does, but Bruce, because of your job with Fox and, and getting to go to the big noon Saturday games, you've gotten to see Michigan a ton. I have, I have some questions about several different Michigan guys because uh, Mozzie Smith was number one on your freaks list. And if you want to regale us with some of those those testing numbers, by all means do. But then I want to get your take on what you've seen from him in person on the field this year and does it back it up? Yeah, I mean, he is super explosive and powerful. And when you watch him, uh, there's some times where you see and the, the most dominant D lineman I've seen, you know, said as a sideline reporter, and this is a this is like basically a six or seven year window. It's not a 20 year window, but Vita Vea was oh, Vita yeah. Vea was just throwing guy 300 pounders around like he was throwing stew around. You know, he just like these are he it was incredible to watch what he did in the that, that would be Stuart Mandel, our, our co-worker at the yeah. athletic, who is uh yes. is not probably, 300 pounds. <laughs> no, and probably has like 23 inch arms. But th- this is like just insane to see what he was doing. And Washington State had pretty big alignment. And so when you watch Mozzie, what's different? You know, it's not fair to compare it like Vita Vea is much longer. Mozzie 
is I think is somewhere in the middle of that and Deron Payne, you know, who just incredibly strong and powerful, moves well, he's disruptive. I think he plays, you know, everything I've heard inside the program has been, you know, they love his leadership. They love what he brings. He, he really sets the tempo up front. Again, he's another guy where it's like, okay, what kind of system do you run? You know, I know he's in Dane's top 50. I don't know if you're that kind of guy. Do, does somebody take you in the top 20, no matter what you do at the combine, right? And this guy, I think, will will vertical jump in the mid 30s at 335. He made vertical <laughs> jump 35 That's inches. Crazy. You know, his That's shuttle time is going to be crazy. He, you know, he may bench two and a quarter, 45 times, you know, like he's just a, a remarkable athlete and he's got the intangibles. So I think he's really interesting. You see other guys around him, you know, like who have emerged as really good players in the D line, like after Aiden Hutchinson moved on, they're not as good as him, but there are other guys who have really raised their game. And I think he's a big part of that. And so it's a really interesting program. You know, I, I know, I think your number five guy, Dane, is a is a Olu in the in the Big Ten who's really impressive when you see him. Their Olu is much older. Uh, I think he's yeah. probably four years older, but came mm -hmm. from, is the center from, and he transferred from Virginia. This is Olu Oluwatimi, who Olu might be the best pickup out of the transfer portal this year, other than maybe Jameer Gibbs. Or Jaden. Jaden uh, Okay. Yeah, yeah okay. Jane Jane Nails is it okay? All right, that's fine. I that's uh, fair. But he is really, really good, right? This was a great offensive line last year. I think it might be an even better offensive line. Like the thing that that Andy asked me about seeing Michigan, so we've had them four times in you know in person. They are really physical. You know, I don't know where the other offensive linemen they have get drafted when they come out. You know, the Zach Sinners are you know, I think these guys are all gonna play in the NFL. I don't know how high up, like oh, they're Olu. I think is really good. I don't know where, you know, like where a center goes. You know, we saw that last year with a great one, albeit a, you know, a shorter, smaller one, you know, from Iowa, who I, you know, as we're taping this, I watched the Monday night game last night. He's doing really well in Baltimore, you know, but um, really good player. And the things that I think are different about this Michigan team they're, than last year, they're much deeper at receiver. Ronnie Bell's back. They have a lot of speed. You see, Donovan Edwards, I think, is actually underrated because he's so versatile and they do so much and he's really dynamic. I think Blake Corum is a really good, really good running back in terms of just his he's just really quick in and out of the hole. He's powerful. You see him in person. He's like a fire hydrant. Um, it's a it's a really interesting team because they I think they don't get enough credit for how athletic they are because they are being measured against Ohio State and Ohio State probably had more, you know, has more five stars where Michigan has a lot of four stars. But I think because of the way they practice, because of the way they have developed players, there's a lot of really good football players on this team at different stages of their development. And so when when I see Mozzie, Mozzie is grown man. He is he's like the alpha of the place. But then there's other guys who are not far from that. And I think you, you got a really interesting mix there. Well, and with Mozzie, I mean, you meant the, the numbers are crazy, but one thing I really appreciate with him is the athletic endurance. I mean, he's, he doesn't come off the field. He's averaging 42 snaps, defensive snaps per game. 
And that I think that's something that does not that goes overlooked. Like Jordan Davis last year was a first round pick. He is a a freak, but he averaged about 22 snaps for Georgia last year. And now for the Eagles, he's not he's only playing kind of the same number of snaps. He's not playing these high volume snaps. Now when he's on the field, he's just dominant. But because he doesn't play a high number of snaps, that was my one concern with Jordan Davis with Mozzie Smith. Now he's not the same size or, you know, type of player as Jordan Davis, but I think to be able to stay on the field like that and not have to worry, Oh, we got to get this guy off the field to passing down or, you know, whatever. That's something that will certainly help him come draft time when teams are breaking these guys down and say, okay, we could use a nose. We could use a one technique. Uh, This is what this guy brings to the table. It's not just these freaky numbers. It's definitely showing up. And, And like you said, it's, it's helping Mike Morris on the edge. It's helping, uh, that transfer they got number eighteen, uh, Anoma, who's yeah, uh, the Oki. Yeah, th- th- that guy. Yeah. I mean, the characters. We'll have to figure that part out. But on just talking on the field, so explosive. I mean, that that guy was, and oh, he he yeah. joined the team in August, right? Yeah, yeah, he joined the team in August, and it's interesting. Like as we're taping this, um, I have a big story that I worked on, basically about the guy who kind of created the culture there. And helped Jim Harbaugh, it's Jim Harbaugh's right hand man, Biff Poggi. And he was an extremely successful high school coach in Baltimore. And he had Blake Corum. He had four kids who are on this Michigan team now. And Ayabi um, was one of those kids. And, and Biff's a huge reason why he ended up transferring because he started out as a, as a five star, was at Alabama, played some. You know, maturity was kind of all over the place a little bit with him. Went to Houston. It did not go well there, did not fit transferred to Tennessee Martin played and was, you know, was a solid player ended up graduating and then ended up getting to Michigan as a grad transfer right before, you know, right as training camp was going. And so his best football is ahead of him. You know, he did, we had, we had the Indiana game they played at IU and he had, I think he had two sacks. He was, he was, he definitely showed up big in that game. And I think you see some flashes as just a situational guy. And I think that'll continue to go, but you know, go going back to your to your point about Mozzie, I think Mozzie played last year like 20 pounds less than he is now. So the fact that he's like 333 or 335 and he's playing 40 plus snaps and at a high level, you watch him, he plays hard. And that's not that common for, you know, big dudes. So, I mean, for that, I think it's it's you know, I don't know what that is going to be worth in terms of first, second round, depending on the team. But I think that bodes well for whoever gets them, that they will get somebody who's going to work and is bringing intangibles to them in addition to, you know, shocking strength and explosiveness. So Bruce, Growing, growing up about- in Ohio, it, sorry, real quick, it's living in Ohio, the Ohio State-Michigan is always the, the game of the year. I mean, but just from an evaluation perspective, I cannot wait to see these uh, that Michigan defensive line go against that Ohio State offensive line. I think Ohio State has the best tackle tandem in the country. Uh, I mean, Paris Johnson at left tackle has been great. Zero sacks, zero penalties penalties this year. DeWan Jones I've been blown away by at right tackle, how good he has developed, how how much he has played uh, compared to last year, how much better he has played. And he's still young. He's just turned 21 years old. I think it's an important factor with him. Um, and then on the inside, you know, Whippler at center and, and, you know, they've got decent guard play. So seeing that Michigan defensive line go up against that Ohio State offensive line, which we know was such a factor last year when Michigan won that game. So seeing that this year is going to be, I, I think, the story of the game. Yeah, well, we had the Penn State game and Penn State has one really athletic tackle and one OK. 
the center is a good player. Now, I don't know. Like, I know Ohio State really likes their center, too. But that was a tough day for Penn State in the trenches. I mean, it was, you know, especially Michigan's O-line just just really wore them down. It was almost like Penn State broke. I'm not saying Ohio State's will. Because when you see when you see Jones in person, um, you know, and he's just a massive man. He almost looks like he's in, like, a costume that he's that <laughs> a, gi- a giant human costume <laughs> yeah seriously because yeah. before the it, game it, it's an 89 inch wingspan it, it's just unheard of it, it's it's crazy yeah i before the game they so i was by their offensive lineman at penn state and so i'm blanking on the left guard who's not a small man either but he's definitely not got the length of paris or you know like i'm getting and but you watched him kind of them fire each other up and i was like I was like, well, Penn State's going to be in for a long day if this offensive line is going to play with this kind of intensity for four quarters. But you just look at how big the tackles are. And and look, I don't know, you know, Petit Ferrer was impressive athletically, but I feel like the I feel like, you know, Paris is probably a notch above even that, right? In yeah. terms of what yeah. he's bringing. And Petit Ferrer was a was what a five star Andy? I mean, he's from yeah. Area. You know, he was he was a Tampa guy. Yeah, he he was a five star recruit, and and starting in the NFL right now. And I saw him starting on on Sunday Night Football the other night. So, uh, I do a question for both of you though. I don't know how much either of you got to see the Ohio State offensive line against Northwestern over the weekend. There were some absolute like must get rundown plays where they got just jacked up by a Northwestern D lineman. It did not look good. And it it really worries me for them for the Michigan game because it feels like Michigan is built to win in the trenches against Ohio State. And I, I as as good and as athletic as Ohio State's offensive line is, I, I'm not sure we won't see something similar to what happened to them against Michigan last year. Well, let me let me spin that a little bit to both of you. Um, and Andy, being as an old offensive lineman yourself, I'm curious how you think of this and see it. But like, there is a feeling that that Ohio State kinds wants to wants to go sideways more than it wants to go right at people. Mm-hmm. And I think people in the Big Ten talk about that enough. Where I'm sure Ohio State's heard that, and at some point there is going to be a challenge made to these big athletic people. I don't know if it's a switch you can turn on, you know a given week, but it would be interesting to see because in person, Mayan Williams, um, it's almost looks like he looks, this is probably not fair to him, but he almost looks like Ironhead's brother who is at <laughs> son, Cam Hayward's yep. brother, mm-hmm. who's at, you know, it was Connor. Played Michigan state. Yeah. Yeah. It was Steelers. a really good all around athlete. Steelers, yeah. yeah. Really good all around athlete, really good ball skills, but just did not like, you know, he's almost like a bowling ball. And Mayan Williams looks like a bowling ball coming at you. He was a guy who, you know, I think Ohio State beat Iowa State for, and maybe he's a four-six guy or coming out. Whereas Travion can roll, and you're seeing the wow highlights in some ways. And I, I think Travion's an awesome back, but I wonder if the mentality with Mayan Williams for that offense may be better suited to what Andy is is hinting at or, or saying outright, which is like you got to go out. And, yeah, you you, you got to push people around. Like, w- watch Michigan's offensive line; they push people around. Blake Corum is not Blake Corum is a very has very good vision. Like, if you mm-hmm. if the if the hole breaks open, 
on a wide zone and it's outside and he has to go outside the hash, he'll do it. But he's also not afraid to just slam it right up in there. And they're not afraid to you know just maul you at the point of attack, move the line of scrimmage back three or four yards, and Blake Corum is getting three yards before he's touched. I don't see that with Ohio State. That's I, that's fair. I mean, because yeah, Mayan Williams, yeah, Blake Corum, I think has arguably the best line of scr- scrimmage vision in college football. He is so good at reading quickly and, and making his moves. Mayan Williams is. He's not a guy that will consistently string moves together. You know, that, that's not his strength as a player. He's a guy you want rolling downhill, and he can shake guys along the way or go over them, but he doesn't have that start-stop coordination that uh, Ohio State's, you know, they when they use him on some of those, you know, stretches or outside runs. Um, and, and credit to uh, Northwestern, uh, number 99, uh, Adabare. Uh, he's a senior. He's a, a, an interesting prospect because he's got a weird, not weird, unique uh, body type because he's like six one and a half, two seventy, and they play Listen, him we, as a. Th- we all got unique body types, Dane. That's that's the, <laughs> yeah, that's all do. of our problems. Until you get older, Dane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, so, but he's they use him as a three technique, uh, but he's a little bit of a tweener. But I mean, he he was consistently making plays. Uh, in the backfield, winning the point of attack, not allowing uh, you know the guard to reach his outside shoulder, so he's shutting down these plays. Uh, he played his tail off, and so I, I that that tape alone, I think, is going to get him uh, you know some more consideration. Teams going back to the tape and saying, eh, maybe he's not a late round pick, maybe he's someone we consider a little bit earlier. But uh, no, I, I think that your point is fair. Uh, we saw it on last year's in last year's game. Um, obviously, Michigan's defensive line. That was the strength where you know, how's it there's the no lines. there's no Hutchinson on Ojabo. So I'm not as worried about CJ <laughs> right. Stroud getting getting just destroyed. But I am worried about them not being able to to run the ball that's, when they need to or that's use fair. the run to set up the pass. Yeah, that's fair. And yeah. I, I mean it's it's fair to say that Tre- Trevion Henderson was out against Northwestern. Uh Mayan Williams coming off an injury. So, you know, I, I think that there were other factors going on there. But I, I to your point, I I, I think it's very valid that they could not just blow that Northwestern defensive line off the football and impose their will. So uh, yeah. it, it'll be it'll be interesting. In that game, uh, I, I do have to mention this too. Uh, when it comes to CJ Stroud, I, I've got a lot of tweets about how you know CJ Stroud couldn't throw it. Throw that game away. Throw the tape away for CJ Stroud. Yeah, it does thir- not matter. Thirty-eight mile an hour win. No, they're, they're, I, you could be Dan Marino. You're not throwing in that. No, I, I talked to a, a scout that was there, and there was no room in the press box, so he was on the field for that game. He Ooh. said it was like nothing he's ever experienced. He said they had to have people by the pylons because they kept blowing over. They, they wouldn't stay yeah. up. That You couldn't tell which way the wind was going because the flags were all the way around the poles. So, like, it was just so – he, he said that it, the game will not matter. It, it, it's something that – for C.J. Stroud's value – now, for offensive line and, you know, for other positions, right. absolutely. But for the quarterback, uh, it, it's a non – it's a tape they won't even factor I, in. I actually think it is somewhat helpful for C.J. Stroud because when his team needed him to, he ran the ball very well. That's yeah, not what something was that? we expect from him. No. Yeah. <laughs> I mean – so. It, by the way, I, want, I do want to point out, like, so our uh, Adabare, he was a freaks list guy, and he, there are guys who, who you feel like it's like, I don't know if they look like the Colts old um, Robert Mathis kind of, mm-hmm. you know, like where yeah. they're, okay, how are we going to use this guy where he's 6'1-ish, 280, you know, like he was top 30 on our freaks list this year because, you know, some crazy shuttle numbers and really, you know, great agility. Like he's a guy athletically who could play on any team 
It's just in that slop, you know, and I feel like Northwestern's had some of these guys. Obviously, everybody knows about their their offensive tackle. But, um, you know, it was I think that's the kind of game watching it that Pat Fitzgerald loves. It's like, all right, we're going to play in soup. Let's see how, yeah. how how good you guys are in soup. And they but I, yeah. I kind of think Jim Harbaugh likes soup like he thinks chicken's a nervous bird, but non chicken based soups, I think I think he's good with. So uh, before we leave the Michigan topic, I do want to get. Your take, Bruce, and, and and a little more from you, Dane, on Blake Corum, because we talk about him in, in college football in context of the Heisman Trophy, and and you know can he win it? But I'm I'm curious about him as draft prospect. We haven't talked about him all season as a draft prospect, and I, I'm I'm curious where he falls. Well, and I'll be yeah interested in what you think, Bruce. But I I know for me, I he did not make my top fifty, but. The next day, I did have an article set with 15 players that just missed that I hated leaving out, and Corum was on that list. I, I hated leaving him out of there. Uh, he's a, Like I said, the line of scrimmage vision is so impressive. His decision-making, we talk about decision-making for quarterbacks, not enough uh, in terms of talking about decision-making for running backs. He's so good at the line of scrimmage, following his blocks, anticipating where those holes are going to be, uh, it, it quick, quick decision-makers, and he runs so low to the ground that he's able to bounce off uh, tacklers who, who are not wrapping him up. He's got the footwork so he can cut, hit it without slowing down. His movements just have this energy that you feel like he's going to make something happen. And so for those reasons, even though I don't think he's going to have a great 40-yard dash, you know, there, there are things you can pull holes in his game, uh, but I, I still think that he's going to translate pretty well and be a guy that can it, it be a, a nice part of a backfield. I think this is a really interesting running back crop because typically you see a low it's loaded talent from like the SEC. But when I look at it, you know, in the in the Big 12, obviously Bijan is a big back who can do everything. There's some wow in his game. Everybody raves about his character. Uh, you Kendra Miller's blown up at, at TCU. He was actually in the same recruiting class there as Zach Evans and the Guys, they're really, I mean, you see the balance that kind of, that jumps out. I don't know where he would get drafted, you know, if he, you know, if he does come out. Um, and then the other one in that league, and I don't know what he is in the NFL because of his dimensions, but he's, I think he's an NFL player, you know, with, with Deuce Vaughn. To me, Deuce Vaughn's the most exciting player in college football. And so you have those guys, you know, if, if only there was an undersized Kansas state back that, that I know had a good NFL career that we could compare him to and a long NFL career. No, less. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, no. And so you have those guys. I like quorum because I just think getting in and out of the hole, I think a lot of that translates. Now, is he a, you know, like, there's guys who kind of really pop in the NFL. You watch, like, I feel like a bunch of them played at Memphis recently, you know, you know, where you see Tony Pollard, some of the stuff he's doing with the Cowboys. I just think Blake Horam will be a guy who will be one of two somewhere and he will put up really good numbers and people go, yeah, I'm not surprised he's, you know, doing well. Like, I don't know if he would, you know, a couple of years ago, Clyde Edwards, Hilaris, you know, kind of snuck in the end of the first round off a huge year at, uh, you know, at LSU to go to the Chiefs. I don't know if with Blake Corum, because they do a lot with Donovan Edwards in the past game. So I, I wonder if some of that obscures, like Donovan Edwards could be a receiver for them. But then, you know, some of the guys on the West Coast, like I love Zach Charbonnet's game. 
He was at Michigan with them. And he's a bigger back. He's every bit of 220. He's gotten better as a receiver. And I think what you see with him is really good vision. And he's in a really interesting offense. And so there there are guys out there. I don't know if outside of Bijan, I don't know if anyone would say, oh, yeah, that's going to be a first round pick because we know what the NFL thinks about running backs now, you know, and it's just it's just a weird place where if you had told me midway through last year, who's like the most talented running back in college football, I would have said either Trayvon Henderson or Bijan. But, you know, certain guys have a hard time staying in a rhythm and what I think in college, especially. And I think what we see is Blake Corum is a running back who just runs with a tremendous amount of confidence. And I, I, I would be surprised if he doesn't turn out to be a, you know, a starting NFL running back at some point because, well, it, because that's what he's doing now. It's funny you mentioned Memphis because I actually wrote down a better version of Darrell Henderson uh, as one of the, <laughs> one of the comps that fits. So that, that makes total sense. I, I think when you look at this running backs, Bijan, obviously, he, he's he's going to go early somewhere, probably top 20. Uh, but then uh, Jameer Gibbs, I, 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 to me, he if he doesn't go in the first round, th- something's wrong. Something I know he's going to be about 200, 205 pounds, but his, his feet are so impressive. Watching the LSU tape from the weekend... Uh, it just you just expect something big to happen every time he touches the football. I think him as a as a pass catcher uh, is really impressive. Um, Devin A. Chain from A and M is going to be really interesting because we know he's going to run really really well uh, with his track background and that speed is something you see on the football field. Uh, but you know he's listed 185 pounds. How is that going to factor in? I think Zach Evans too. You know uh, at Ole Miss that that's that's another one. So this is a really interesting running back class. You mentioned uh, Charbonnet who is I think in terms of and you had a great story on this Bruce I think uh maybe even last year with uh with Chip and how uh he's just a, a great fit for that uh for that yeah, offense that, what he wants yeah exactly and I think you see that with the vision the patience um now he's not the dynamic athlete that is going to get him drafted in a top 50 but in that 51 to 100 range a team's going to get a really good back uh, with Charbonnet. And then one other running back I wanted to mention, uh, speaking of the Big 12, is Eric Gray at Oklahoma, the Tennessee transfer, who uh, is now able to be the guy uh, for the Sooners. He's doing a lot of good things. And uh, th- there's some buzz for him among scouts as a guy that could go somewhere in the top four rounds. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs. 
sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. Can I ask you guys to go back a little bit on Gibbs for a second? The guys who were like had some, you know, total wow players to me when I watched them in college um, who weren't the biggest backs. Um, certainly one of them was Swift who went, you know, was at Georgia and there was like a lot of, there's, he just had a lot of juice in him. Right. And, you know, I know he's been at the lions and sometimes he flashes. I mean, is that, a, you know, is Jamar Gibbs a better, better version of that? I don't know. I'm asking. You know. I, so I, I think Gibbs needs to go to an offense where they are, they really like to throw to receivers or throw to backs out of the backfield. Like I actually, you know, he's probably gonna go too high in the draft for this. But like what Jacksonville's figured out with Travis Etienne, like a, as a compliment to him, mm. would be tremendous. Mm. But I don't, I don't think Jacksonville is going to use that sort of draft capital because you'd have to pick him probably in the second round, uh, or maybe the late first. So I don't think they're going to do that. But if you if you want like an every down back who you can throw to, that's that's your guy, and and you're not going to you know pick in the top ten and take Bijan. So. I think that it just depends on how much you like to throw to your backs. Like what the Chiefs wanted to do with Clyde. I think it's very similar to Clyde coming out of coming out of college. Because Clyde was really important to the 2019 LSU passing game. He was kind of the key to everything. We're gonna put all five guys out and go good luck dealing with Clyde. You know, yeah. Like, I mean, and, yeah. and especially this year, because Alabama has no receivers who can separate, Gibbs is that much more important. And actually I learned this, uh, Michael Casagrande, who covers Alabama for AL.com, put this out on Sunday, and it blew my mind. The longest pass play this season for Alabama was Jace McClellan, the other back, taking a dump off 65 yards. That's well, the longest play all season. Gibbs leads the team in receiving. Uh, he, he, yeah. he led the team in receiving on Saturday against LSU. I mean, he's, he's a guy that uh, the passing game is essential to what he does. I, I do think that... Uh, the the mini Alvin Kamara comparison because Kamara is you know a, a little bit bigger, but if you're talking about a, maybe a smaller version of that, I, I do think that fits with Gibbs. Yeah, I, I I mean the people who had him at Georgia Tech thought he could win the Heisman at Alabama, and I don't think as disappointing as that offense has been, you can't blame the quarterback and you can't blame him, right? I mean, no, you blame you blame the receivers because. Uh, now, Harold, the, the transfer from Louisville, got hurt, just started playing, so you, you've not gotten to see him do much. But like Jermaine Burton coming over from Georgia, I remember everybody who doesn't follow Georgia closely when that happened was like, oh my God, Alabama got Jermaine Burton. And all the people at Georgia were like, oh no, we lost Jermaine Burton. Oh, what are we going to do? And like, you've seen it. There is no Devontae Smith, no Jalen Waddle, no Jerry Judy, no Calvin Ridley. No Amari Cooper. There's no, and we've been so spoiled by that at Alabama the last few years. Like it is jarring to see them unable to have explosive pass plays. Dan, can I throw another running back name at you? I'm just curious what you think of him, just because yeah. he was a guy that you know Pat Narduzzi told me about for a while. Uh, is he a, a Bonaconda? You know, he's been at times yeah. he's productive. Like 
I mean, he definitely looks like an NFL running back when you catch him on the, you know, against maybe an average team in the ACC. He definitely seems like he's there's some wow to him, too. Yeah, no, there definitely is. And he's he's a guy that uh, I think has put himself in a position where he's going to have an NFL decision to make uh, after this year. But yeah, I think you take you take away, uh, you know, his four or five best games and you're thinking, okay, why can't this guy start at the next level with uh, his ability to hit the hole? He's got a, a good mix of quickness, a little bit of power. Uh, I mean, he, he's he got an all-around type of game that you think will translate. So uh, that's another good one. And, and you know, I, I I think we, you know, just for the fact of the, uh, of the topic, mentioned Sean Tucker at Syracuse, uh, or what he could be at the next level. Or uh, even... But, uh, he can't, like, if I'm not mistaken, he's only a second-year sophomore, right? Right. Sean Tucker? I think. Yeah, I thought he no, was. No, he's a junior. He or he's uh, oh, he's, he's draft junior? eligible. Oh, yeah. I thought he so was his, a sophomore too. I, no, he's so a he third year guy. All right, well, there you go. He's a third year guy. So he's a guy we'll be we'll be talking about as uh, if if he declares, we'll be talking about him as someone that he did not make my top fifty. Um, I didn't really consider him that high, but in the fifty-one to one hundred and twenty-five range, somewhere in there, he'll be you know. It, duking it out with guys like uh, uh, Corum and Eric Gray and Charbonnet and those guys. And I think, you know, maybe Chase Brown, Chase, exact Chase Brown into the conversation. I, exactly what I was about to say, what he's done this year, Chase Brown deserves to be mentioned coming into the year. Brown was viewed as maybe a, a late round pick, but uh, what he's done out of the backfield, catching the football, um, you know, his ability he will test really well, he will test really well. Yeah, right. And he's, you know, he's he's small or he's short, but he's not exactly small. I mean, he's probably 5'9", five, 5'9 nine, five, nine and a half, but he looks like he's, uh, you know, pretty well put together, 212, 215, which is good to see. And he's a little like Corum, actually, you mm-hmm. know, they're just packed in there with shorter back. Maybe that's like a I'm not saying they play like this, but kind of built like Emmett Smith, maybe. Right. And it, it was good to see Kenny McIntosh um, have a nice game against Tennessee. He's another one where I think the passing game is really going to factor into his evaluation. He's a really good pass catcher out of the backfield. He's Rashawn James Johnson James at Texas. Again. Yeah. Well, well and he, but he actually has an NFL body. I mean, uh, McIntosh, right. you know, you know, his his brothers are defensive linemen. And, you know, he's kind of got a little bit of that. He, he's around 210, 212. So he he looks more the part. Rashawn Johnson at Texas. Um, Joe, you know, he could be a fourth round pick and he's, uh, he's a backup. He can but, do everything. Yeah. That's but, the uh, guy. Special teams, everything. Right. That's the guy inside the Texas program that the coaches taught. Like that's the alpha of everything, you know, like I'd be shocked if he, if he's not playing in the NFL for 10 years, cause he's, he's super strong. He runs well, he can do everything. And everybody talks about his character and his you know, mental and physical toughness. Like, I don't know where he, where he goes in the draft, you know, but I'm, I'm, I'd be surprised if, you know, he could be the guy who the Patriots play at like five different positions on both sides of the ball. <laughs> well, they, they got to decide if they're going to take DJ Johnson first. That's speaking <laughs> of guys who play on both sides of the ball, but uh, Bl- uh, Dana, I wanted to get back to your 15 guys that you wished you could have put in your top 50. Cause there's one guy mm-hmm who I want to talk about. And he leads me to another discussion that you actually started on Twitter on Tuesday that I think is fascinating. Uh-oh. Josh Downs at North Carolina, yeah. unstoppable against Virginia on Saturday. 15 catches, 166 yards, a touchdown. North Carolina needed every bit of that because, again, North Carolina's defense not that great. 
their offense has to kind of do it, do everything. Uh, they they escape Charlottesville with a win, but Josh Downs as a prospect won, and then on Tuesday you bring up if Drake May were draft eligible, he might be QB one in this this class, and as 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 fate would have it. On the day that this podcast is dropping, now if the, we're, we're recording on Tuesday, so I don't know if this is going to make sh- definitely happen, but if the trains run on time, we will have Drake May on our show, on the Andy Staples show, and mm. he's a guy I keep telling people, look at his stats, take the names away, and put the stats up. Drake May would probably be your favorite for the Heisman. If, can we talk Josh Jones just so get to this other discussion because I think it goes, it, it's real. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's a little bit of both in there, but yes, let's talk Josh Downs first. Uh, I mean, he, he doesn't. If you just walk down the street and you passed him, you wouldn't think anything of him, right? You know, he's he's not a big guy. He's he's listed, I think, at 5'10", 175 pounds. But uh, watching him play, uh, he plays so much bigger than that. And it doesn't matter what route you want him to run. It's a vertical route. It's a fade. It's um, you know, it's some type of crosser where it's a, it's a catch and go opportunity. He can do all of that. He tracks the ball really well. Uh, the ball doesn't hit the ground. Uh, I think he had 16 targets on Saturday. He caught 15 of them. There was just one that was just, uh, you know, was just slightly off. And so this is a guy that if you throw in his direction, good things happen, uh, both with his ability to gain separation, but then also the after the catch. He's tough. He's fast. So, I mean, Downs was a guy that I hated leaving off my top 50, and I, I, there's a good chance he probably makes it on the next uh, next update. He's a good player. Who would be, Dane, right now, the four draft-eligible receivers you would have, one through four or one through five? Uh, so I, I think at one, I'm probably putting the TCU kid, Quentin Johnston, another one of your freak guys. Yeah, he's another one who passes the eyeball test. He was 195 yeah. last. He was 215 now. You know, and he he was banged up in our game. Like He has right. he rolled his ankle two weeks ago, played through it, and then – Beginning of the game, tweaked it. He was out the whole game. I would have been interested to see because Texas Tech actually has really big, long defensive mm-hmm. backs. And I think they're guys who are 2024 20, draft guys, maybe. They're probably mid-round guys, but they're pretty good athletes. And I think they were going to try to press him. And how did, would he do against the press? I think that was a question mark that I think people there had. But I definitely get why he could be the first receiver to go. Well, and he's a difficult evaluation, right, for, for what you just mentioned. And a lot of times these Big 12 receivers, you know, you're asking yourself the same questions. Like, you know, what, do you, what about when he has to face press? What about when he has to face better corners? Um, you know, that's something that you worry about with Quentin Johnson. But I, I think that Kansas tape really uh, swayed some doubters. I mean, he, he whether it's tracking the football, whether it seemed like he's making the first guy miss after every single catch. Um, and it's not – with just size, it's with he's got some elusiveness to him as well. So right now he's he's the top guy, but you know it's it's fluid. Jordan Addison, right after him, he's banged up right now, but we think he's back pretty soon, right, Bruce? Yeah, I would I would be surprised if he's not playing at least next week for the UCLA game. Both he and Mario right. Williams, who's a really talented young receiver who transferred in from OU, um, another guy kind of from Andy's area. Um, mm-hmm. He, I, they both missed the last weeks. Um, I suspect they will be back at, you know, probably at the very least by UCLA game. Where, where does Jackson Smith and Jigba fall, Dane? He's he hasn't next. really been able yeah. to play all season. Yeah. He's he's next. And, and look, 
I think that we've been so spoiled the last few years with receivers, uh, you know, Jamar Chase being a top five pick. And then last year with uh, Drake London and Olave and uh, Garrett Wilson, and, and we had six receivers go in the top 25. So, you know, this year it's just kind of assumed, okay, well, whoever's the top receiver, he's going top 10. And I think that's the disconnect with Jackson Smith and Jigba where he's just not viewed that way by NFL scouts. They, they like him. Jackson Smith and Jigba is a really good player. They just don't view him as the same way they viewed Olave or Garrett Wilson. So Smith and Jigba, even though and, and it, it's been a bummer he's missed this season, I don't think it's necessarily hurt him from a draft evaluation. Um, although it is a little bit of a missed opportunity. would have been nice to see him hopefully run some more routes on the outside because he's been really strictly an inside guy for that team. But, I mean, C.J. Stroud, is he's played with a lot of good receivers. He calls Jackson Smith and Jigba the best receiver, route-running-wise, that he's ever played with. And that that says something. So, Smith and Jigba, I think, is right there, right after those two. He's in that late first, early second round discussion. And then the next two guys, um, if I'm doing a top five, are really wild cards. Uh, that's Jalen Hyatt from, from Tennessee, who has really exploded this year. Um, I, there's a lot of missing parts to his evaluation in terms of him as an underneath receiver, um, him uh, running different uh, branches of the route tree, but he has legit low four, three speed and he has trust in his hands. And those two things um, I, I think are going to get him drafted pretty high. And then Keishon Butte from LSU, who, I, I mean, he's tough to figure out. He, he's probably a slot only. That's at least where he does most of his damage. And that's, that's a little bit of a question mark. Um, and he has the ability to be a really productive pro. It's just, is he going to get there? Is he going to, you know, fully realize that potential? So, uh, he's a tough one to figure out. And, and so those would be top five, but even after that, you know, Rasheed Rice from SMU and Cedric Tillman from Tennessee, Josh Downs. Um, I like A.T. Perry at Wake Forest. So it's, it's a, even though I don't think we have a locked top 10 receiver this year, it's still a pretty good group. If Jackson Smith and Jigba goes out, and this is not a knock on you at all, if he, no, no. if he goes outside the top 25, he will be the steal of the draft. I, he's going to be a long-time pro. There, there, there's no doubt, right? I mean, because his ability to get open, his ability to catch the football, he's got some juice after the catch. I I mean, I agree. If he, Especially if they use him in the right way and just you know, let him be a slot receiver and just uh, – he, he'd be a guy, if I have a fantasy football draft, a PPR league – uh, I, I'm looking to get Jackson Smith and Jigba. He's going to rack up those catches. I I agree. It's been a bummer we haven't been able to see him uh, this year. Hopefully, I, I don't know if this is going to be a, a Nick Bosa situation where just like, okay, at some point you got to shut it down and just he start prepping for the draft. Yeah. Or if he's really going to push. Because, you know, we, we, hamstrings are one of those things where if you you push it too early and you're going to do more damage. And so it it's going to be interesting with him to see if uh, if we get to see him at all next uh, next few weeks. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. 
All right, it's time to have the Drake Day conversation because you you said it, Dane, on Tuesday, and I my eyes kind of popped because this is this is a soapbox I've been on for about a week about hey, look, if you look at Drake May's stats compared to everybody else's, you'd have him in your Heisman conversation. And it's interesting because he actually plays for a team that still has a chance to make the playoff. This is not a case where a guy plays for a terrible team and is just putting up huge numbers. But, and this is a fair criticism, he's probably not playing as good at defenses as C.J. Stroud or Hendon Hooker. I also think Jalen Carter should be considered for the Heisman, but that's just me. Uh, But let's talk Drake May and what you've seen out of him because – I realize he's not eligible for this year's draft, and and him, uh, there there may be some people yelling at their device right now, like, "No, talk about the guys this year." You may need a quarterback next year, so let's sure. let's talk about Drake May. And it, there's nothing more uh, annoying. I know next year's quarterback, the quarterback class is so much better. You know, like we, we hear that <laughs> almost every year. I, I you know I, I get it. It's and you know, but I, I I do think it was true last year. And I do think it could be true this oh, year. Oh, this right? year's think, is definitely better than last year's. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, but when you look at next year and you look at Drake May and Caleb Williams, um, Caleb Williams is legit. And I'll be eager to oh, get yeah. uh, Bruce's take on, on those guys too. Um, but in fact, okay, does Anthony Richardson take a big step in his development? What does Quinn Ewers look like a year from now uh, with, with just more experience? So next year's quarterback class is pretty uh, promising. But with Drake May... Uh, maybe it's the number 10 that's throwing me off, but it, he looks like Justin Herbert out there. It's tall, it not, you know, a l- yep. little lanky, uh, but a big time arm. He plays so mm. natural. Like everything, everything, all the movements, the throws, he's not he, he's an athlete. at all. Remember, remember yeah. his brother is Luke May, who didn't start North Carolina in football. He started North Carolina in basketball, which means yeah. pretty damn good basketball player. There's a lot of genes in this family. Dad played football at North Carolina. Drake May was originally committed to Alabama, flipped to, you know, Mac Brown flipped into North Carolina. And he's one that I, I don't think the the folks who, you know, who listen to this feed who don't follow college football as closely, that's a name they might not have heard very much. You will hear that name a ton in the next few weeks and a lot next offseason. Three, three quick things. First of all, yeah. I just dawned on me as you said that, Andy. Maybe the the, the, the Twitter narrative of, the 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 player the quarterbacks that Mac Brown didn't recruit at Texas at North Carolina should be the quarterbacks that he flipped away from some big school because he yes. flipped obviously Sam Howell from Florida State and getting Drake May away those are programs saving things for him at North Carolina. Um, the second thing I would ask you guys and I, I I've seen more Justin Herbert in person than I've seen the only time I think I've seen Drake, uh, Drake May in person might have been at an Elite Eleven workout I think. Um, but is his, do you think there's as much juice in his arm? Like Justin Herbert has a, has an electric arm. Yeah. Do you, I mean, is it that caliber? I'm asking, I don't know. I'm not I, sure I mean, if it is. Yeah. It might not be. I mean, cause yeah, you're right. Herbert is, he's up there. Um, and, and it might not be quite that, but I think it's close. I don't think it's that far off where it, he can make any throw he wants. And it, it could be a small window as an expiring window on the sideline. He's not afraid to make it, and he usually hits it. So I don't. I think it's fair to say maybe it's not quite there, but I I, I do think it's pretty close. Yeah, and, and the thing yeah. is, Justin Herbert has one of the two or three best arms in the sport. So there is there yeah, is that he, too, right? No, I would ask then the other part, and this is this was the part that kind of made my eyes bug a little bit. Like, wow, this is a statement. Just because I was thinking, 
if he, and again, I'm asking, I'm not saying I believe, I believe this, but right now, if you're telling me there is a better NFL pro quarterback prospect in the 2024 class, I always have to feel like I'm thinking yeah. about what, what the year. It's a long, it feels like we should have jetpacks. Yeah. The 2024, uh, draft class than Caleb Williams from what I've seen, from what I've heard from people there. Like, I don't know what he does it. Like he moves exceptionally well. He's, you know, he's playing in a really good system. The ball jumps out of his hand. I mean, he's got pretty awesome stats too, in terms of like taking care of the football. He does things. Um, like, I think there's probably some stuff that if you drill down deeper, that like, people would be like, all right, I don't know how I feel about maybe this a little bit or whatever. But there is so much, um, so much like stuff that's like jaw dropping things that you see from him consistently. C and Caleb Williams has kind of the Bryce Young qualities in terms of moving around in the pocket, except in he's 6'1, 215. Yeah. yeah. And more and explosive. Also, I mean, it, both with his movements. And oh yeah, yeah. If he the, takes the off, arm, it's a different story. Yeah. Well, and the way the ball explodes off his arm, it's just a little bit different than than Bryce Young, and that's going to be the big, the big knock on Bryce Young is just the the physical traits are not traditionally what you look for in a top five pick. But he's so special instinctively and with his vision and his poise that is that enough to overcome? Well, with Caleb Williams, Caleb Williams, it's you don't necessarily have to worry about some of those physical traits. And so I don't, I'm not, I haven't, I haven't studied enough of both those guys to say one's clearly better than the other. Uh, like, so if you told me that Drake may and Caleb Williams was in this draft, I, I wouldn't have said that, you know, Drake may is a clear quarterback one, because, you know, I think there's a debate there between those two guys, but among CJ Stroud, uh, Bryce Young, Will Levis, I think Drake may would talking about upside, talking about the traits, I, I do think that Drake May would be maybe not the clear-cut quarterback one, but I do think he'd be the top guy. Well, and, and it's, what's interesting about Drake May and Caleb Williams this season, both of them are having to make up for terrible defenses. Yeah. And they're having, like, every touchdown they throw, their team needs because their defenses stink. Yeah. Well, and it's... Yeah. I, it, no, go ahead. Because that USC defense is... Uh, it's probably what's keeping them out of the, the playoff. Uh, I mean, legitimately keeping them out of the playoff hunt, right? Yeah. Epically bad last year. It's gotten a little better because it's got at least a little bit of cohesiveness to it, but it's, it's, it's horrible. Now the flip side is if it was a seven on seven game, USC would be a lot, be a huge problem for people because the receivers led by Addison are really good and I, I don't know, you know, we didn't talk about him a couple of minutes ago about running backs, but Travis Dye has mm -hmm. matured into be a really, really good college running back. And he runs hard and he's very smart and he takes care of the ball. Like there was some, there were little concerns about that back in his Oregon days and oh, early in his Oregon days. And I just think he's a very good fit for what they do. But to me, like if Caleb was in this draft and I love Bryce Young, I, I am so impressed by what he does. And the only thing I would say about the, the dimensions and the physical, like people will say, oh, there's, you know, try to compare his game to Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson's a big, thick sh or a short, thick guy. Who, I don't yeah, think who also was a star baseball player, like very different athletic. Yeah, profiles, he's, he's yeah. almost like a scaled down Mahomes body, yeah. you know, where he's just wide and everything where that's not Bryce Young, but. Um, you know, it, it does, it's kind of encouraging. I'm not talking about like in the production that he's had, but like 
Andy, you remember what, what Kyler Murray looked like when he got to AM and he wasn't particularly thick. He was a, he was a smaller, short right. guy too. He's not like, he's kind of filled out some. Um, I don't think oh, his life Kyler's a lot thicker than Bryce Young now. He is, but maybe, yeah. you know, but Bryce Young, maybe you're selling yourself to believe. Like, I think Bryce Young, you know, aside, if you can get past what he's going to weigh and worry about durability concerns, not toughness concerns, but just durability concerns yeah. of what he's going to hit. And I think he's smart enough and savvy enough to like, all right, I know where I got to make business can, decisions. Can, can I tell you, I, I'm more worried about CJ Stroud taking hits than I am Bryce Young hmm. because I worry more about CJ Stroud's pocket awareness. Like he's going to get ear hold and Bryce Young is never going to get ear hold. I, I, that's interesting. I mean, that's, and oh, I mean, this, before we let you out of here, Bruce, I, I do want to hear your thoughts on, you know, these, these big three quarterbacks, you know, you mentioned, just talk about Bryce Young, but CJ Stroud and Will Levis, I mean, along those lines, how do you look at these quarterbacks? You know, going into the year, I thought CJ would have been because he's physically bigger than Bryce Young by a lot. He's 225 pounds. Bryce Young, I don't know if Bryce Young is 195 pounds. You know, like he doesn't look it. Um, to me, Bryce Young plays quarterback better than those other guys. He's his sees the game, you know, and I, I've had these conversations with Ohio State coaches and been around them when they've had them with, you know, just because I'm on the field uh, around some scouts. They rave about how smart and the intangibles for CJ Stroud in those conversations, they will, they will go to bat for him in terms of what he brings intangibles wise. When you talk to some of the scouts there, you know, they will go to some practices and be like, they're not that fired up about his arm. Like there are times where it's not a, you know, he's accurate and that you, you want to see that, but I don't think there's like a man, this guy like is a, we're not talking, you know, let's put Justin Herbert and Mahomes and those guys, you know, not even that. Like Joe Burrow didn't have a, a an electric arm either. And he obviously led a team to a, a terrible franchise to a Super Bowl really fast. So does CJ have the command? Like to me, Joe Burrow was so mature and like such a coach on the field, more so than any kid I've ever been around in college football. Again, pocket awareness too. I think of Joe Burrow in that SEC championship game against Georgia where Georgia was getting through and Joe Burrow was just sidestepping, finding somebody, Joe, making stuff Joe happen. Burrow, Joe Burrow was picking his teeth with SEC defensive players. Like yeah. it was like, like he was going in there, like he was playing at a game with like big, big people who couldn't operate. You know, it was just like he made, it was like unfair the way he kind of toyed with people at times. I do think that, CJ, even without Jackson Smith and Jigba this year for most of the year, has way, way better talent around him to throw to. And honestly, has a way better system to operate in as a quarterback than than Bryce Young does. And certainly better than Will Levis. Like just and I'm not making excuses for Will Levis. No, we can we can make the offensive line excuse for Will Levis. I am perfectly willing to accept that. There's there's a couple of things, Andy. Though, like I, again, I'm I don't know if I'm jumping on the table for Will Levis inadvertently here, but like so, Will Levis got to Kentucky after spring ball. He got a he got an OC there who really knew what he was doing and and you know believed in him and Liam Cohen. 
went really well as of, you know, his one year there without a spring ball, hit the ground running, had an awesome year. And then, you know, Liam Cohen got a chance to be the Rams offense coordinator left. And now we got another system coming in. And even though it's not maybe not radically different, it's a different feel. So it's it's basically the third system he's had to kind of, in, you know, absorb in a short amount of time. And it has had a lot of ups and downs. And so, you know, I think if somehow the NFL personnel people can not fall too much in love with Will Levis's physical toughness, the horsepower in his arm and his athleticism, that if he can end up in the second round somehow, you know, and go oh, somewhere. And, with, and you give me a red shirt year. Absolutely. He have to play right away. Yeah. I think he would have, you know, I think it would help him a lot more than, Oh man, we got to ride him and he's going to be in a tough situation. And then all of a sudden, um, and I don't want to say he's this guy, cause I think he has a much better arm than, than this, but like he goes in the top 10 and ends up like having a Sam Darnold kind of run where he looks jittery and he doesn't never looks comfortable. And then people worry about his accuracy and how well he sees it because he's just thrown into a, into like a really messy situation and he's not comfortable. Well, I'll, I'll, give, you, I, I'll give you a comparison. Daniel Jones. Yeah, yeah. This is Mentioned a guy that, who yeah. checks all the athletic boxes, but didn't really drag his college offense to greatness. Like that Duke, those Duke teams were okay. They played, they played in bowl games, but they didn't play in good bowl games. And I think that's like, I'm looking at Levis's season this year. The Kentucky game was just an abject disaster. He was, he was bad in that game. His line was bad. And every, everything about that game was bad. Tennessee game. The the Tennessee game. I'm sorry. Excuse me. But almost everything else he's, he's, you know, he's averaging seven, 70% completions. He's, he's in the nines in yards per attempt in most games. Like he's not doing that badly. He is trying to force some balls into windows. He shouldn't, but a lot of times that's because he's got to make something happen because they can't do anything else. So I'm, I'm not as out on Will Levis as I thought I was. I still think there's some hope for him, but I'm with Bruce. Don't throw him into a situation where he's got to be Superman right away. Is he poor man's Josh Allen? Well, that, that's what people well, that, are going to point to. That's the hope. That, that's it. Yeah, exactly. He, They're going to see Josh Allen, what he, how much he's developed. They're going to look at Will Levin to say, well, with our coaching, we can do that. And, you know, it's especially once, once you know, say if Levis goes to the senior bowl, uh, you know, that's that's why Daniel Jones ended up in the top 10 is because of the senior bowl. If Will Levis goes to the senior bowl, I think he's going to look great, obviously, throwing the ball in, in uh, you know, a practice setting like that. It's going to look really, really good. And I'll be shocked if he's just going to top 10, top 12 at that point, which, you know, and, and that's a fair thing to point out. Perception, if you're drafted that high, there's a certain perception that will follow you uh, your entire career. Yeah, if Daniel Let's Jones was a second-round pick, we'd be like, oh, he's kind of a bargain. He'd also be a free agent right now. Or would have been Let a free agent this past year. Let him go to the Rams. I don't know if the Rams have any second round picks at this point. Let him go to the Rams. He can reunite with Liam. Yep. They don't have to play him right away. And I don't know how long Stafford is. You know, he may have to wait for four years for Stafford. I don't know. And NFL teams aren't waiting that long. But let him go somewhere where it is It is like it is like what you said, a redshirt year, and there's somebody who really is going to buy into him mm-hmm. as opposed to like, eh, you know. Well, and that's a, that's a situation. Like I was watching Malik Willis the other night. And he makes a throw to the tight end down the seam. And I'm like, oh, there's that arm. There it is. But 
I said this all last year. Do not pick Malik Willis if you think you need to start him this year. And I don't think the Titans picked him in a spot where they thought, you know, because obviously he's just replacing Ryan Tannehill because he's hurt. But I'm like, if Malik Willis gets enough time to develop, he might be a good NFL quarterback. Like it's it's potentially with Levis, there's more tools to work with. So maybe, but don't throw him into a situation where you're going to wreck him right off the bat. And somebody has a real detailed plan. Like, you know, I think it's awesome what the Ravens do. Like they have so much of a, a feel for a plan, a, you know, an identity and Lamar is, is an amazing fit for what they do. And even you should see like, I don't know if this is grant, the right term for granular, but you see how like one of my favorite players to watch you know, in the last 10 years was Tyler Huntley. He was, he's as yep. pound as tough as anybody. It's like, oh, all right. He Perfect could go backup and, for Lamar Jackson. Exactly. Yep. You know, and there are some guys like that where you're like, okay, how would this fit if they just, you know, maybe got him in the fifth round? And I'm not saying take Will Levis out of this for a second, but yeah. it's like you have to have somebody who goes in and says, all right, this kind of player we are going to, we are really all in on. You can't just like, oh, he fell to us and now we're going to try to fit him into a different way. I mean, that's kind of, that's kind of what Russell was with the Seahawks. And it just so happened that when he got there, he was better than Matt Flynn. But it was like, we like this guy. We think he could be the guy in the future. So we're going to take him in here in third round and, and see what happens. Bruce, I, and I'm going to apologize because I'm going to put you on the spot here. Um, but and, and I did this to Andy uh, two weeks ago. So And I, I apologize if you heard this. but um, And I wrote about it in my outlier article. But there, in the last 25 years, there have only been – this is going back to Bryce Young. There's only two quarterbacks who have been drafted out of 300 quarterbacks um, that were both under six foot and under 200 pounds. So, and neither were drafted in the first three rounds. So Bryce Young, a complete outlier. Uh, can you name who those two players were that were both under six foot and under 200 pounds uh, to be drafted? And, and while you think about that, I just, uh, you guys, hearing you guys talk about that really brought up an interesting philo- philosophical point when it comes to these quarterbacks is, you know, when I talk to teams this summer about, you know, we had one quarterback on the top 73 picks, you know, like let's, we've never had that before and this and that. They all mentioned kind of the same thing that, well, we're looking towards next year's class. And you know what? We're not we're not going to take the bait. We're not going to – because in past years, we would have seen Malik Willis go in the second round, Matt Corral go in the second round. Uh, but teams were more willing to be patient. And it makes you wonder, will teams picking in, say, the top 10 this year, uh, whether it's the Lions, whether it's uh, the Panthers, whoever it is, if they're looking towards next year's class and saying, hey, you know what? Because every team does this. Every team does advanced scouting they're looking at next year's class and said, hey, you know, like we like C.J. Stroud, but you know who we really like? These guys next year, will they be willing to be patient? So it's an interesting part of this quarterback evaluation that uh, teams are going to be discussing amongst uh, themselves when they start to stack this board and figure out if there's a a quarterback for them in this draft. Dane, they're going to probably talk themselves into patience to think, you know who I really like? And that's Drew Aller from Penn State. (laughs) In the 2025 draft, let's go. Yeah, Yeah. Drew Aller and maybe Jimbo don't screw up Connor Wegman. We like how those guys are wired and they throw it. You know, Uh, maybe um, my guess is, and I don't know if they measure the six foot part. You're saying the first three rounds? No, no, just in the draft. Neither of these two guys went in the first three rounds. I think Bruce is going to get one of these. I don't know. So, yeah, I didn't didn't get either one. There have been 301 quarterbacks just drafted, period, the last 25 years. These are the only two 
out of the 301 that were both under six foot, under 200 pounds. So one, I, I you you know both these guys. Uh, one had a, a decent career in the NFL. Uh, it lasted for a little while. The other one, uh, not wasn't didn't play very long, but I think did okay in the AFL uh, Arena Football League. Ooh, and, um, and both were. No, I was gonna... a while ago. Yeah, so so technically Johnny measured over six feet then, right? Well, he was Johnny. Uh, Johnny's two hundred seven pounds. He was yeah. He was under six foot, but he was two hundred seven. So he was just over. He's had some collars in his pocket. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Tyler uh, also over two hundred. And Russ I'm I'm going. Yeah, I'm going strictly by combine medical. So no Murray can you give was. Me, can you give me conferences? Because I'm going to struggle. I, I have a hard time going back more. There's than uh, there's a Big Twelve quarterback uh, turn of the century. Yeah, drafted in two thousand three. Uh, uh, was that Michael Bishop or Al Roberson? No, those. I thought two. they were both over. I don't know. The blast from the past names right there. Um, uh, another former Big Eight school, not that former Big Eight school. Not, not Todd. Not Todd Reesing. He wouldn't have got drafted. No, no, no. But you're really you're you're right there. You're you're on. This is before Todd. Re Todd Reesing would have been like 09. But uh, yeah, played for the Seattle Seahawks for a little while there. Oh, um. What's his name from um, Iowa State, right? You got Seneca it. Wallace. Yeah. Yep. You Seneca got Wallace. I would have thought Seneca Wallace was like 6'1", though. I, really this sick. is what I said. When, when Dane said that, I immediately started furiously looking up Seneca Wallace's draft profile. because I was like, at, He was under 16. He was wow. that at, tall? At the combine, he was 5'11 and 3 eighths, 196 pounds. Uh, and then and the other one like was – Oh, wait, wait. You know, I I don't think he got drafted. Who was a player I loved in college, and he was definitely under under six feet and under two hundred pounds. Was Vernon Adams? Oh yeah, yeah. No, Canadian football get... legend Vernon Adams. Yeah. Uh, the other one was Joe Hamilton, uh, Georgia Tech back in the day. Uh, he was five ten. Yeah. And... You know what's funny about this? So last week, sorry to jump no, in. Of course, like, Bruce has a Joe Hamilton story. I know. Yeah, of so course. We, we, are, we are in Fort Worth, so they take uh, they take our crew. This is the uh, the Davy O'Brien committee takes us to the Fort Worth Touchdown Club. And so there's like a wing of all the guys who won the Davy O'Brien Award. So we're walking in and it's a lot of overlap from the Heisman. And I go in there and it's like, you see it, even though like Mike Singletary apparently won it twice, this was like, please, we're just giving it to quarterbacks, you know, whatever. So he's not even in there, like his bust or his thing. But we get to the point where I look and I'm like, so I see Joe Hamilton and I tell one of my colleagues, I was like, yeah, I went to the town. Like my second featured ESPN magazine was on Joe Hamilton because he's from a town that technically doesn't exist anymore. Alvin, South Carolina does not yep. have a postal code. It's like, I don't know, 300 people. And there's a bunch of Courtney Brown was from there, who was obviously a first pick. And Pearson Prelu was a really good player. So it's like has a lot of good football players, but not like there was one business in the town. It was um, it was the barbershop, the weight room, the pool hall and the fish fry place. It was all in the same place. It was across the street. It was across the dirt road from where Joe lived. And I thought, like, if Joe came along now, I would love to see what he would have a chance to do in the NFL because he was a really special quarterback. But so a couple of rows over from Joe Hamilton, I see the Jason White stuff. And Jason White apparently won the Davey O'Brien twice. And I'm looking at it and I'm looking. And I'm in there with with Liner, uh, Matt Liner, and um, a couple of my you know colleagues from the show. And I'm like, hmm, maybe they had like a – academic component to this because Matt won everything, but he didn't want the Davey yeah. O'Brien. 
he was not too happy that I pointed out that he, that <laughs> he wouldn't, wouldn't make. He was looking at some of the other names in the room. It's sort of like the Golden I, Globes to the Oscars. Yeah. So, but there was, but yeah, Joe was a phenomenal college quarterback, and it makes sense. I, I should have got that one. Yeah, Joe Joe Hamilton and Reggie Ball, electric <clears throat> Georgia Tech quarterbacks. Reggie had a little better talent to throw to. That guy yeah. was okay. That 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 tall Whatever guy. Happened that, to him. Know, he could yeah. run. Yeah. Well, guys, this has been amazing. We probably could do this for four hours, and we might actually when we're together at the combine or, or one of those days. But Bruce, thank you so much for joining us. This was fun. I, I I love this stuff. It's such a cool rabbit hole to go down, you know, and because it's like it's our own version of fantasy sports. I know. I think Dane, you made a reference to it, you know, at some point in the podcast, but. I just think it's it's neat where you kind of look and think, oh, I would really like this guy. Or you think somebody and you're like, you know what, that quarterback, I wonder if he would play safety in the NFL or whatever. And there's like, I had that conversation on Saturday with the personnel person I know. And it's always interesting to see if the, how it plays out. Well, it, it's going to be a fun one, Bruce. We're going to bug you again, so just be prepared. But you can listen to Bruce and Stuart Mandel on the Audible every week, twice a week. And... Obviously, catch me on the Andy Staple Show or right here on Prospects to Pros on the Athletic Football Show feed. Thanks so much for listening. This was the Athletic Football Show.